Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, I want to explore a very simple question, which is does a short runway to retirement require you to actually take on bigger investment risks? I think there are a lot of investors who've left it late to build their wealth or they've lost wealth and they take on risky ventures as a way to make up for lost time. I want to tell you about a client of mine. He was a very, very prosperous younger man. He was very entrepreneurial. He was one of those guys who at one point in his life would have been described as someone with the Midas touch. He saw opportunity everywhere he went and he actually had the means through his business to create quite a lot of cash flow. And he, in fact, did use that cash flow to build quite an empire of assets for himself outside of his business. But, you know, he was an old school kind of guy. And later in life, he found himself getting a bit more blasé about the business risks associated with certain projects. And lo and behold, he found himself on a project where he cut corners and ultimately, it not only forced him into business liquidation, but he went into personal bankruptcy and eventually wiped out most of his personal assets and wealth. The end result was absolutely financially devastating. And, you know, apart from the fact that he, he really lost his mojo, the confidence to restart the business evaporated and the focus that he had for a number of years was really just keeping his head above water. Now, although things have stabilized now in recent exchanges, I see that he is looking for a way to make up for lost time. Many of the investments that he has been thinking about are all about how do I claw back what had previously been mine? There have been things like development sites, high risk joint ventures, new business ideas, which require significant startup capital. And the list just goes on and on. The big problem is that he is at the wrong end of his life to be doing this. He and his wife have already been through the ringer. And unfortunately, the reason I'm telling you this story is because it is so common. I have met so many people who are within, and I'm going to just make this up from anecdotal memory, about 10 years of retirement, who find themselves in one of two places. Number one, they either put wealth building on the back burner and they're now frantically trying to make up for lost time. Or number two, they made some catastrophic or damaging investment decision that they are now feeling the need to make up for. So given that this is a very common story, I thought long and hard about, well, what are some of the key principles that you could be thinking about if this kind of situation either feels like it's you or potentially you know someone who's in a similar situation? So the first key I want to kind of focus on here is watch out for pride. Let me say that again, watch out for pride. Now I'm not talking about the concept of hubris here. So hubris is the characteristic of having overconfidence or excessive confidence, um, which leads a person to believe that they can do no wrong. Now the overwhelming pride causes hubris is often described as a flaw in, in someone's character. And in the financial world, it's super dangerous because it makes people think that they can't go wrong. And, you know, sometimes those risks pay off. More often than not, it just results in total wipeout. So this effect of pride and regret 
has been documented many times by many people. There's lots of studies on this. There was one by the University of Pennsylvania, and they pointed out that one of the most destructive attributes as an investor was pride. Now, what I am talking about when I talk about pride is this idea of being too proud to go back to basics. Now, what I mean when I say that is if your runway to some kind of financial retirement is very short, there's no question you need to take, you know, impactful, concise action. But I think sometimes we like this idea of presenting ourselves to the world and making out like we have it all sorted, that we don't feel like there's trouble, that we don't want anyone to know that perhaps we are in trouble and that we need help. So instead we seek a quick fix. We don't want to tell anyone that we've messed up. And again, what that results in is, you know, mismatch between between the actions that you take and what it is that you actually need. So that's my first key is just be watchful for pride, the pride of not being able to say, look, maybe I need to go back to some fundamentals here and actually clean up shop so that I can at least put myself in a position where I am some part of the way towards the level of financial independence that I want. The second key that I want to kind of really pull out here is focus on sustainability over risk. My general attitude is that even if you had to compromise your lifestyle, because you didn't get as much wealth in your back pocket as you would like come retirement. For me personally, that would still be a preferable option to dependency. Now, I call dependency any kind of situation where financially, in this case, you are reliant on others, whether that's the government, whether you're on a pension, whether you've got to rely on your kids. I have a lot of clients who have to financially support their parents. And it's an awful and terrible personal situation to feel that you're dependent on others. And again, a lot of people will, instead of focusing on sustainability, will focus on, well, how do I get the biggest possible gain in the shortest possible time? And they will, as if go to the casino, they'll put it all on red and then they fall to their knees and pray. And let me give you a a really concrete example of this. Let's imagine that you had living expenses right now that were around 150,000 a year. And that might afford you, you know, you're living somewhere nice, you have an overseas holiday or two, you fine dine when you want, you do do the things that you want, you're really enjoying life. And let's say that by taking the safer path, your end game is that you get to half of that. So somewhere, let's call it 75,000. So let's say you get, yeah, 75,000 in your back pocket as a, an income stream if you kind of play it safe. Now, what I see a lot of people doing is saying, well, that's just not enough. I need more. What can I do? And again, that leads them down the garden path of taking on unnecessarily risky projects. The alternative to that is to consider that, you know, maybe it isn't quite what you wanted, but perhaps that's better than risking complete loss of capital. So I would still argue if you find yourself in that situation where your runway is short and you are not where you want to be, I would still encourage you to focus on sustainability of returns over risk. The third final point that I want to make or the third key on this topic is to be thinking in terms of minimum viable capital to get the outcome you want. What that means is you want to rock the boat on your financial situation as little as possible to get you to the outcome that you want. That is certainly the mindset that I have when I work with my high net worth clients. Now, I want to tell you a story about something that happened on the weekend. I ran my big client event in Newcastle 
And uh, a lot of my clients came together. And one of the things that we do at every event is we play this game called Million Dollar Mixing Desk. And it's a game that I invented probably about six years ago that's kind of had seven or eight iterations. And the essence of the game is to get you to think outside the square on behalf of somebody else. So every event I come up with a case study, they take me a a while, they're quite elaborate. In this case, I had a, a case study of an older couple they were in there from memory, I think they were in their late 50s or early 60s. They were at a point in time where they were running a small business and they they really just needed to take some time out. So they had an option or wanted to go and live in Italy for a couple of years. I think I'd drafted it up in a way that described that um, the wife in the story had basically lost a brother very recently and it had given her a big wake-up call and they were tired of putting things on the back burner so they were going to go live in Italy for two years. And your job or each team's job was to come in and look at their investments and assets and advise them on what to do to get them to the outcome that they wanted. So when they start working uh, with you, they've got very little passive income. They've got a couple of investment properties, a business that potentially they could sell and a few other assets floating around. Now, one of the things that I found really fascinating is at the end of the game, everybody writes up on the whiteboard what their end game was like what was the net worth that you created for this client what's the passive income that you've got them to there was a third question about legacy and then the final question was on a scale of one to ten how happy is the client with the outcome that you've got them and one of the things that showed up was that there was a huge variation in the net worth figure that each team had put together so I think there was like 10 teams and each team had come up with a strategy based on what they were prepared to liquidate, like which assets were they going to sell off in order to predominantly invest in the alternative investments that were part of the deal stack available to them. And one of the things that was really interesting, there was there was one team in particular that had this staggering net worth, like this huge net worth, and, and it was a real outlier. And then on the other side, there were uh, teams that had definitely a more modest net worth, but achieved the passive income goal that the clients were after. And when I asked some of the teams that had these really inflated net worths, like, what did you do and why did you do it? Ultimately, what they had done was they had from day one liquidated this couple's assets and then stuck it all into the highest returning alternative real estate investment uh, deals that they could. And so my comment to that was, would you actually do that in real life? Would you take someone's capital, liquidate it all and put it all into those deals? And they were sort of saying, well, it was the game, you know, I just wanted to win. And in fact, we awarded the uh, winner as one of the teams who had not maybe taken as much capital to get them to the outcome that they wanted. So they'd reverse engineered, what's the minimum amount of capital we need to get them to the outcome? And one of the teams had very consciously said, look, they're an older couple, they've been through a lot. The last thing they need is for someone like us to turn around and tell them they've got to sell everything and put it into these deals. And so they were the winning team because they'd thought it through. They they really genuinely had thought, how can we get the couple the outcome they want and not rock their boat? So the reason I'm telling you this story is because I do believe that sometimes it's easy to forget that the game isn't about necessarily getting to the biggest number, particularly when we're talking about passive income. It's how do we get from where we are 
to where we want to be by using the smallest amount of capital and taking on the least amount of risk. So it's really important that we don't lose sight of that in our own journey if we are in a situation where the timeline to really getting to where we want to be is short. So guys, I want to kind of finish there. And what I want to say is that if you are someone who feels that this statement is true for them, you feel that you have a very short runway to financial retirement, I would encourage you to explore some of my other podcasts where I talk about alternative investments backed by real property and what they are all about. And if you want to explore if they're a fit for you, then reach out, book a time to chat. You can do this at inkosiwealth, I-N-K-O-S-I-Wealth.com. I'm more than happy to help if I can. But the most important takeaway for today is uh, just to recap, you really want to be watchful of pride. You really want to be clear that sustainability always wins out over high risk. And then finally, we want to focus on what is the minimum amount of effort, minimum viable capital to get us to the outcome, taking on as little risk as possible. Guys, I hope this has been useful and I look forward to catching up with you soon. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to inkosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.